0: Um, You can use your phone, anything you like. So, I said, you hear the word of God. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need Him. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens so that it does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would um, you would come and, and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. Holy Spirit, I especially pray that you would come this morning and that you would bring a conviction of sin. I pray that you would bring a conviction of grace. I pray that you would change us. In this time I pray that this that this morning would be a life-changing morning for some people here father I pray for myself that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking in Jesus name we pray all of these things amen and amen Well, I have gotten in the habit of the past few years of starting with a, with a question, sort of to get the, the, to, to prime the pump with, with the, what we're looking at, what we're talking about. This morning is an interesting question, and, and I want you to think about this. So the question is basically this. If there was a sin that caused the following things, and by the way, the, if there was a sin that caused, the things that I'm getting ready to list you, I got from the National Institute of Health, except for the very last... Thing on the list which I got from the Mayo Clinic. So if, if there was a sin that caused these things, I'm going to read them for effect. If there was a sin that caused, it's not coming up on my screen. If there was a sin that caused weakened immune system, high blood pressure, upset stomach, anxiety, <laughs> sort of lost the effect, didn't it? So much for technology. You get my point. If there was a sin that caused all those health issues, up to and including baldness, would you still do it? I mean, I can see there's there's a lot of you who might be doing it now just by the look of your heads, but nonetheless... The point is this: is 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 we're we're getting we're in Luke chapter twelve, and in Luke chapter twelve up to this point, um, remember Jesus started out the whole thing started with uh, Jesus talking to the Pharisees about hypocrisy, and then he basically the past couple weeks we've been looking at two dangers to our faith. One danger is the threat of persecution, or physical threat that, that could sort of knock us off the narrow road to following Jesus. The other, of course, is our possessions, greed. We looked last week at the parable of the rich man and how he just had more than he could ask or imagine, and he had a surplus, and he still, with his surplus, thought, uh, how can I build bigger barns? How can I have more for myself? And if you remember the last line, um, Jesus said, uh, verse 21, he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now imagine he's talking, Jesus is talking to a bunch of disciples, many or maybe most of them are poor, and they hear this parable of the rich man about being greedy, and their first thought, if you're like me, is like, Jesus, I'm just worried about surviving. I'm just worried about making, you know, scratching by a living, and I think Jesus is anticipating that response, because most people are not like the rich fool who just has so much stuff and, and you're constantly trying to gather more and more and more. It's more like, what's going to happen if I don't have my needs met? And he spends an awful lot of time talking about worry or anxiety. And Jesus calls it out as a sin. To worry is a sin. And if it was a sin, so on one hand, you say, I almost need to go back. On, on one hand, um, when you look at all the things that that are caused here, you would think just because it's a sin, just because it's sort of offensive to God and that, that, it, that it's a, a violation of his command, that it would be bad enough. But when you begin to look at how it affects your actual, your body, that worry at the end of the day, not only is it a sin, but it just is no good for you. It doesn't help anything. And so the question is, why do we worry so much? Some people are more inclined to worry than others. I don't tend to be a worrier. Other people worry quite a bit, and the question is, how do you deal with it? What do we do? We're gonna look at three things this morning. Three things that I think Jesus is gonna tell us we need to do. One, we need to divest ourselves of our worry. In other words, we need to get rid of it. We need to to just divest of it. We also need to seek God's kingdom instead, and then finally he's gonna talk about investing in eternal treasure. So on one hand, if Jesus has just told this parable about the rich guy and, and all the rest of us are going, man, I'm just worried about surviving, he's going to talk about worry and how we get rid of our worry, he's going to talk about the kingdom, and then he's going to move us from being worried about surviving to actually being radically generous. That's a, there's a big difference in those two. So let's jump right in, let's talk about divesting ourselves of worry, and basically, in verse 22, he says, and he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than, than food and the body more than clothing. Notice where he says, therefore, or another way to translate that would be in light of this. So Jesus is actually referencing the parable that he has just told and that we're supposed to be rich toward God as opposed to laying up treasures in heaven. He says, in light of this, he says, don't, I, I tell you, do not be anxious. And in Greek, it's literally, do not be worried about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. And then he gives two illustrations. He says, verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Now, it's interesting because Jesus... Um, it, he doesn't just say consider the sparrows, or he doesn't say consider the pigeons. Ravens were considered, to were in the Old Testament, an unclean bird, and they were considered by everybody just to be scavengers, and frankly, just nasty. And, and no one liked ravens. I don't know if anyone likes ravens now, even. But Jesus basically points to, to, the, to something that no one cared about, no one liked, no one even wanted, and it was unclean according to the law. And he says, look at the ravens. God even provides for them. They don't have storehouses. They don't have barns. They don't have anything. Remember the rich man was building extra ones. The ravens don't have have anything. And yet God provides for them of how much more value are you than the birds. He's using these, he's going from lesser to greater. If God cares for the ravens like that, how much do you think he cares about you? And then before he goes on to the next illustration, he actually asks what I think is a rhetorical question, he basically stops, he talks about the birds, and he says, how much more value are you than the birds? And in verse 25, he says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In other words, he goes from illustrating this, well, if God cares for the ravens, he cares for you, but then he adds sort of a practical application. Why do you worry when worry doesn't accomplish anything? In the, in the Greek, it's actually interesting because you could translate that either as a span of time or a span of height. In other words, is worrying going to add one inch to your height, or is worrying going to add one uh, minute to your life? And it doesn't. Jesus says, worry does not help. So not only is it not a good thing, not only is it a sin, not only does it help us, but it doesn't add any value to our life. And the next question he says, "If if you then are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? In other words, he's saying, if worry was, was, was uh, effective enough to help you add a minute to your life, but it can't, why are you worried about all the rest? I mean, it's interesting, if you really, uh, there's a sense in which um, if you're not a Christian and you're looking around, you ought to be, most people ought to be a lot more worried than they, than they are. I mean, the world is pretty big, and the world, from our perspective, seems out of control, and the world is just everything. We have very little control over anything. And Jesus says, if you, can't, if you can't even control your own life a little bit, why are you worried about everything else? It just does not work. And then he goes on to talk about the lilies. Notice what he says. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? So, on one hand, um, the the word lilies here could you mean any kind? It means wildflowers. Um, and, and he says, look at the wildflowers. And peasants would have gathered wildflowers, not in order to put them on the, the middle of their dining room table. They would have gathered them because they probably couldn't afford wood. And they would gather them and dry them out and bunch them up. And that's what they would use for fuel to, for their fire. And Jesus says, look at these wildflowers. Look at these lilies and how they're arrayed. Not even Solomon is arrayed like them. And they, the worse and ravens, those are going to be gathered up and burned. And then, of course, he goes the, the less to more. He says, how much more? will God clothe you, O oh, you of little faith. In other words, he's not saying that the, the possessions don't matter. He's not saying that your clothes don't matter. He's not saying that food doesn't matter. He's just saying that there's more to life than those things. In fact, there's, there's more to life than those things, and in fact, God has promised he'll provide those things for you. In other words, if you're worried about surviving, if you're worried about having what you need, God will provide what you need, I think is the basic point here. And he says, so therefore, you don't need to be worried about anything. You see, the opposite of worry is trust. The opposite of worrying is faith. The opposite of anxiety is faith. That's what Jesus says. So you have little faith. If you're worrying, what is your problem? Your problem is unbelief. Your problem is a lack of Faith, There's some, you don't believe the good, that God will provide these things for you. There's a sense in which Jesus has, has pointed the disciples to what theologians would call general revelation. Right? What is general revelation, the theologically speaking? General revelation is the way God reveals himself in creation. And he says, just look at creation. Look at general revelation tells you that God cares about his creatures. Especially the creatures that are created in God's image. And so should you have faith that he's going to, have to, to take care of you? And the answer I think Jesus is looking for is yes. Now one way, the one, one thing that I would, I would encourage us as a church to do is think about how you interact with other people. I mean, not just our church, but other churches I've been in as well. Some people have raised worry to, not only is it an art form, but it, it's almost become a noble thing. The more worried you are about something, the more you care about something, and the more godly you might seem, right? I'm really worried about what's happening over here. I can't tell you how many people use the word worry. Probably after this sermon, it's going to be used a lot less, I'm guessing. I'm really worried about the pastor. I'm really worried about the kind of communion bread we're using now. I'm really worried about the parking lot stripes. I'm really worried, 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 worried. If someone in church comes to you and says, I'm really, you know, I'm really worried about this, the appropriate response, I think, according to this, is for you to say, Know that your sins are forgiven and be at peace. <laughs> in, in other words, when you interact with your fellow church members, with other Christians, Ask yourself, is the conversation that we're having, is it encouraging worry, which is a lack of faith, or is it encouraging trusting God, which is faith? It's usually only ever encouraging one or the other. Remember, I told you, I'm going through this communication course. One of the things they teach you about all conversations, they're either creating value or they are creating waste. A conversation that is focused on your worries is wasteful. And not only is it wasteful, but it's sinful. Not only is it simple, but it does not add a minute to your life. It can't help you one bit. Now, here's the good news of the gospel. You see, Jesus points to his disciples to just the, the, the creation. Look at the ravens and look at the lilies. If you want evidence that you need to trust God instead of worry, just look at the birds, look at the grass. But the good news of the gospel, at least for us, is we have more information than they had. You see, they had, he pointed them to general revelation, but we also have special revelation. And what special revelation is, is basically, theologically speaking, is the Bible, the whole Bible. And specifically, the whole Bible and its message that points to the person and work of Jesus. And so if looking at the birds and looking at the flowers is not enough to, to, to bolster your faith, it's not enough to sort of to pull you out of your anxiety, look to special revelation And what does special revelation say? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 is is addressing uh, anxiety. He's addressing people worried about suffering, and I want you to hear how he he addresses them. I was only going to read you one verse, but I'm going to read you the whole section. Paul says this. He says in verse 31, I'm going to start with, he says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? to be slaughtered no and all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord and so if if looking to the ravens and the grass is not enough to elicit your trust look to the cross If you're worried and you wonder, how do I divest myself of this worry? And you look around and you say, well, God provides for the the animals. If that's not good enough for you, look to the cross. Does God care about me? Does God care about my needs? Does God care about my situation? Does he care about my church? Does he care about my finances? Does he care about my marriage? Is everything going to be okay? I'm worried, 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 worried. Look to the cross. And ask yourself the question that Paul asks in Romans 8.32. If he was not willing to spare his own son for you, will he not also willingly, graciously give us all things? You see, Jesus doesn't want us to worry because on one hand, worry doesn't add a, a, a stitch of time to our life. It doesn't help us at all. In fact, it hurts us and makes us sick on one hand. On the other hand, he offers us something infinitely greater security, and trust, all to be had by faith. And so instead of worrying, he says, instead of being worried about these things, you ought to be doing something else. You divest yourself of worry, and you need to seek the kingdom. And that's where he goes next. Notice what he says in verse 29. He says, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. All these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, yesterday, um, I came into the, to, to the church to work sometime in the morning, and I got home pretty late, and Judy said, oh, you were gone a long time. What were you doing over there? And What I was doing is as I was going through my sermon stuff again, and I kept thinking about Jesus saying, seek the kingdom, seek the kingdom. It, I just couldn't help but wonder, do we know what the kingdom is? It's just one of those things, like a Christian-y thing, you know, oh, we have it, oh, seek the kingdom. Jesus talks about the kingdom more than anything else. In fact, he, he, when he arrives on the scene, he says, repent, why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. And so if you don't understand the kingdom, it won't help you very much to say, okay, I'm going to get rid of my worry, and I'm going to seek the kingdom. But if you don't know what that is, it's not going to be very helpful. And so I added this whole section So the sermon's gonna be about four hours long this morning, but nonetheless, you're gonna understand the kingdom by the time I'm finished. Basically, to bottom line it, when Jesus says seek the kingdom, the question you gotta answer and ask is, is what is the kingdom of God? And the real simple answer is God's kingdom is basically this: it's God's people in God's place under God's rule. Okay, so when you hear the phrase the kingdom of God in the in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, it's God's people in God's place, under God's rule. And the kingdom of God started, and maybe it's easiest to see what that looks like, is the the place where it all started, and that is, of course, the Garden of Eden, right? In the Garden of Eden, you had God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, in the garden, and they were under God's rule. They were were willingly obedient and, and willingly under his sovereign control until they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And once they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they they basically uh, spoiled the kingdom they destroyed the kingdom at some level because now they were alienated from god they were kicked out of god's place and they were no longer under god's rule right because they they sinned and the rest of the bible from that point on is about re-establishing what was lost in eden god's kingdom the whole bible and so when you get to the end of all history if you were here during revelation what is the future of all humanity? It's new heavens and new earth. God's people in God's place under God's rule, right? And his place at the end of all time will be new heavens and new earth. In other words, it'll be the whole universe. And if you look it through the Bible, right, as God is sort of be giving us foreshadowing of how he's going to reestablish his kingdom, you see Israel established, and they go to Canaan, and in Canaan, you have Israel and With God, So you have God's people in Canaan, in God's place in the promised land, and they are under God's rule. Remember, he gives them the law. And ultimately, they build a temple, and the temple is God's people go to God's place, and they exercise, and they're underneath his rule. And so the question is, when Jesus says the kingdom is here, seek the kingdom, what is the kingdom now? Well, if you remember, Jesus in John chapter 2, among other places told us that he replaces the temple. In other words, what is God's place when Jesus arrives? God's place when Jesus arrives is Jesus himself. In other words, the place where you find the kingdom of God now is the person of Jesus. God's people, God's place, and God's rule are all found in the person and work of Jesus. And where do you find that Now? What now is God's people in God's place and under God's rule? Well, it's where Jesus dwells by his Holy Spirit, and that ultimately is the church of Jesus. In other words, the kingdom of God, the, 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 the prim, primary outworking of the kingdom of God is the local church, God's people in God's place under God's rule, in, in and by the personal work of Jesus as the Holy Spirit works in them. So when Jesus says, seek the kingdom, at some level, he's saying, seek me. When he says seek the kingdom, at some level he's saying seek God's people in God's place and to to be under God's rule, to obey me, right? That's why the whole Sermon on the Mount is all about what it looks like to be under the rule of this great king named Jesus. And so as we seek the kingdom, the question is, are you seeking Jesus himself? That's where you find the kingdom now. Because only in the person and work of Jesus will you be gathered also to his people. And as you gather to his people, that's where his rule is exercised. Have so you ever noticed, at least in a Presbyterian church, what, what elders from the local church are called? They're not just called elders. They're called ruling elders. And it comes from this that Jesus rules his church through the leaders of the church that are elected by the church. So uh, to be under God's rule at some level means to put yourself under the submission of the local church, whether it's our church, by the way, or, or Baptist church down the street or an Episcopal church. At the end of the day, the w- place where the kingdom is worked out is in the local church. Now, notice what Jesus says. I love the part. He says that for all the nations of the world seek after these things, whether to eat or to drink, but your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. In other words, he 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 doesn't say you don't, this stuff is unimportant. He says your father knows you need food and he knows you need clothing and he knows all the different kinds of things that you need. He says, but seek after the kingdom... The establishment of God's rule in the world, the, the, the spread of God's rule in the world through the proclamation of the gospel, through calling people to be under God's rule, through living out the gospel, and all these things will be added to you. And you know, here's how you know that Jesus knows that that's not really an easy thing to do. And I had to laugh when I read this the, fir- the first time. Have you ever seen the, uh, um, the, the, I think it's a Geico commercial, where it says, Pinocchio would have been a horrible motivational speaker, right? And Pinocchio's standing in front and he's like, you're good enough and you're smart enough. And his nose keeps growing. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus tells us to seek the kingdom and it'll be added to you. Have faith, oh, you have little faith. He tells us all this thing. And then he doesn't say, now go out and kill him, you lions. You're all a bunch of wolverines. Nothing can touch you. Go out and do it. He says, Seek the kingdom of God. And you can just imagine the people going, What in the world have we gotten ourselves into? And instead of calling them bears or lions or wolverines, he says, Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom he calls he he addresses them by what is probably the most skittish worried animal in the world sheep he says fear not little flock i'm telling you to seek the kingdom but don't be afraid of that because it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom remember what he said in the sermon on the mount the meek shall inherit the earth Little flock, you're worried about seeking the kingdom, and you're worried, say, man, this is going to be really hard. It's going to be hard to, to divest myself, of my worry to begin with, and now I'm supposed to seek the kingdom. And Jesus says, you just got to start moving in that direction because your Father longs to give it to you. The question is, are you, willing, are you looking for it? Are you, are you, are you, if you don't have it, if you're not seeking it, if you're not finding it, it's because you're not looking because the Father longs to give it. So Jesus moves from, from divesting of worry to seeking the kingdom, to to actually uh, investing eternally, or have, uh, to to invest in eternal treasure. Notice what he says in verse 33. He says, "Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, where no moth destroys." So, is he saying here to sell all your possessions? And give everything to the needy. Sounds like it. See, I was reading, I read, you know, reading this week, and someone said, well, you can qualify that with 1 Corinthians 8 or 1 Corinthians 9 or 2 Corinthians. And the, the person said, you know, let this text preach itself, and let those texts preach themselves. In other words, Jesus is telling the disciples to get rid of all the excess stuff. It is just holding you back, and you can't take it with you. You learn that with the guy, the, the, the rich fool. Sell your possessions, uh, give to the needy, and then he says, um, "Provide yourselves money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys." It, you know, I read a, a quote this week. I think it was Ken Hughes. He said, he's talking about our possessions and our money, and he says you can't take it with you, but you could send it on ahead. In other words, you can't, you can't take your money with you, but you can send it on ahead. And what Jesus is saying to invest in God's mission and God's people and God's uh, uh, plan is to invest in that which will last forever. If you notice anything in Luke chapter two, Jesus is encouraging his disciples to take the long view of things. To take the long view of things. To take, when you're gonna be a hypocrite, he says take the long view because ultimately that, everything will be revealed. If you're going to be greedy, take the long view because you could die tonight. If you want to to use your resources in such a way that will actually uh, gain for you treasure in heaven or God's approval of those things in heaven, he says, think long-term. Invest in God's plan and God's mission because those are the things that are going to last forever. That Our possessions and the things that we gather here, eventually someone else will inherit them. And the question is, what is what what are you doing with your things? What are you doing uh, with your possessions, with your money? And you know, I, before I forget, I make we, we do sermon questions every week that some of the community groups use, and they're always on the not on the welcome center, straight up, but right back here. Um, we made 400 copies this week. There's so much stuff here. There's a lot more. So whether you're in a community group or not, you might want to pick up a set of the sermon questions and look at them. This week, because it really starts to ask questions about uh, what are we doing with our stuff? Where do you invest your, your time and your treasure now? What percentage of your income do you, for example, give to church and to Christian ministries and causes that, at least according to Jesus, ultimately are what's going to matter in the end versus not? You see, Jesus' application at the very end of this is interesting. He says in verse 34, he says, for your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, on one hand, um, you, you know, if you, if you want to check yourself and ask yourself, um, am I, it, it, where am I on that? Am I worried and, or anxious, or am I trusting Jesus and having faith? Well, the, the two places to check on, both, on those questions are basically, number one is your heart, and number two is your bank account. Right? Number one is your, your heart, do you, are you anxious or are you trusting? You, you know that. Now the question, are you, are you anxious or are you trusting? Look at your bank account. What does your bank account say about what your God is? You see, when you worry about something, whatever you're worried about, that in the moment becomes your God right then. That is the thing that rules you. That's the thing that controls you. That's the thing that tells you what to do. And I remember hearing Tim Keller say one time that we all give effortlessly to our gods. We give effortlessly to our gods. So think about what do I give effortlessly to? And that may be a problem, unless it is God's plan, God's mission. And one of the things that's interesting here is we always say, where you're, where you're, if you want to see where your heart is, just look where your treasure is. And Jesus actually reverses those in this instance. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And there's an aspect here in, in which that which we invest in, our heart follows behind our investments. And I, I'm sure I've told this story before a number of times. Every time I talk about giving, but Katie the cat. Do you remember Katie the cat? Okay, good. Most of you don't. On one hand, that's really discouraging. On the other hand, it <laughs> makes my life easier this morning. I used to travel quite a bit as a church planner, I'd travel over the country, and we lived in Capitol Hill, and I would call home, and I remember calling home, and Judy said to me, Tommy, the girls found a kitten in Volunteer Park, and I immediately said, don't name it, and Judy said, Katie. That's what they named it. Oh, And I said, well, what are you going to do? She said, well, I'm going to get it some shots. I get, you know, we have to keep it now. And I'm like, uh, yeah, we have to. I'm, I'm in Atlanta or someplace. Um, okay, when I got back, Judy told me, she said, well, you know, Katie's pretty expensive. How, how expensive could it be for a stray cat to get shots? And I forget the exact, it was two or $300 for this cat that we did. I didn't want it. And my first question after uh, learning that Katie had cost $300 was, did we get a collar? (laughs) Why would you want to get a collar for a cat that you hope run away? Well, because I've made such a sizable investment in this cat now. I'm not going to lose it. This cat is like the Queen of Sheba now. She has my money, and because she has my money, she has my heart. So ask yourself this. Do you want to be more invested in your church? Invest there. Invest your money there. Invest your heart there. Do you want to be more, more concerned about world missions? Start investing your money in world missions. And you know what? The more money that you invest in world missions, the more you will start following what's going on in the world, particularly with the groups that you are, are investing in. So as we think about all of, of these things, uh, Jesus has taken us from, from not just being not being worried, but actually to investing. And I'd ask you, as you leave this place today, consider where are my primary investments and are they eternal? Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray this morning as we um, talk about anxiety. I mean it's, it's interesting to go from anxiety to radical generosity in the same passage, and yet that's what you do, Jesus, and I pray that you would take us to that place as well that, that as as we as a church we have needs just like everyone else i pray that people would be radically generous here i pray that people would be radically generous in our community as well i pray that our church would be known for that in jesus name we pray amen and amen